If you have your Bibles today, you can open up to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we are jumping back into a series called the Sermon on the Mount. The last month, we had uh, the overseers of Anchor Church uh, speaking, which is just an incredible gift, an opportunity for you to get to know and hear from uh, those that are speaking into my life and our leadership team's life, uh, our, our accountability for our church as a non-denominational church. Uh, it's so great to hear from them, so great for uh, them to have a chance to see you as a church, and it's it's been amazing, but uh, today we are jumping back into a Sermon on the Mount message, and then come January 7th, we're going to be uh, going full on into Sermon on the Mount again. Uh, for a refresher, or those of you that may be newer to Anchor Church, uh, most recently, this, this Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and it is the longest single unbroken teaching we get from Jesus. He hits all types of topics, all types of angles on life and faith, and uh, what we find in this is the most extensive teaching from Jesus on what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus. You could call this his manifesto. Like, this is what followers of Jesus do. This is how they conduct their lives. Uh, for followers of Jesus, this is where we can look to find uh, our code of conduct, our group identity, that if we identify as a follower of Jesus, this is where we can see, well, this is how followers of Jesus behave. Uh, again, for some reminders or some context, uh, Jesus has had a, a growing number of people coming to him every day because he's been healing people and feeding people and they just want like this physical provision and Jesus he pushes pause for these three chapters and uh, he's, he's healed them and he's fed them and after this teaching he's going to continue to heal and provide but in this moment he's like hey I want you to know that if you are coming to be one of my followers that following me is not just about your physical comfort like I love you and I love healing people and providing for people, but you need to know that following Jesus is about living a life that is completely set apart than the way that the culture is living. It's gonna be anti-flesh, the desires of your heart, you're gonna resist them. It's like, I want you to know that what I'm calling you to as my followers is a life set apart. And so we get a look at what does it mean to live a life set apart, not following the desires of our own flesh, not following the direction of culture, but what do followers of Jesus do? How do they live? How do they respond in these situations? Uh, in, in closer context to where we're picking up today in verse 31, Jesus has just uh, expressed his desire and his command that uh, we would not ignore or loosen any of God's laws. That there's this tendency in humanity that exists today as much as it did when Jesus was on the mountainside for us to see a law and then loosen it to a place where we can justify that the way that we're conducting ourselves. And Jesus says, hey, I, I want you to, to be uh, committed, to be faithful to the, the standard of holiness that God's calling you to, not looking for ways to loosen and justify the way that you're living. And then he's already given a couple of examples. He says, uh, you've heard that it was said that you shouldn't murder. Okay, we can all agree on that. But he says, but I want you to know that uh, if you are angry in your heart, that uh, you're walking down the same road of murder. So rather than saying, Let's just deal with the most uh, extensive version, the most dramatic ending point of that anger. Let's dial it back and recognize God's heart towards anger. He also says, you've heard that it was said that you shouldn't commit adultery. Okay, everyone can agree on that, but I want you to know that anyone who looks at a woman with lust is already committing adultery in his heart. So again, Jesus is saying, hey, let's stop loosening God's call to not lust to just the most dramatic form of actually committing adultery, and let's deal with the heart issue that was the reason the law existed in the first place. So he's saying, do not loosen the law, and he's given these examples, and with that, he now jumps to another example that we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look at verses 31 and 32. I'll read it, out to, read it out loud to you here. 
You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. It says this, Jesus' words. You've heard the law say, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. I, uh, I'm really excited to be back preaching after the last month off of, of teaching. But what a zinger to come back to. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. These two verses, uh, Jesus makes some pretty strong statements here. Before we dive into it, I just want to take a moment to address the difficulty of this passage. Uh, not so much an interpretation, but in a room with such diverse stories and experiences that this speaks to. Divorce uh, and the factors leading up to such a decision uh, is incredibly personal, painful, and often incredibly complex. And a message in statements like this today can touch at such a deep emotional level to those that um, have been affected by divorce close to them, those that have walked through divorce themselves, those that today marriages are on the rocks and are considering divorce. This can touch it at a deep emotional level. And today I want to be uh, considerate and respect the array of situations in the room, um, but will not deviate or loosen the words of Jesus. I wanna say that uh, divorce is not something that I have walked through in my own marriage, but it is hit close to home, even in immediate family in this last year. And there are some people very near and dear to us that uh, have walked through the bitter waters of divorce that we love and we value and helps bring some humanity to this teaching. I wanna say there seems to be very few forms of unhappiness and even bondage like that of an unhealthy and unhappy marriage. And there seems to be very few forms of tragedy like that of a marriage that was intended to last for the rest of this human life. And it ends up with the bitterness and despair and destruction of divorce. So today I, uh, I intend to be sensitive, but I'm fully convinced that God's word and the directives of Jesus only lead to life. I'm convinced that I do not need to apologize for Jesus because uh, I'm convinced that his ways never leave us condemned, but loved and full of hope. And I'm believing that today, regardless of your story, your relational situation, your story that includes divorce or marriage or remarriage, I wanna tell you that the words and the direction and the teachings and the ways of Jesus always lead to life. He is the way for your life. He is the truth and he is the source of all life. So we look to him, even if it's challenging statements, we look to him as the source of our life. Would you bow your heads and pray as we dive into a, a serious couple of verses here today? Lord, we just come before you right now and we submit to your word. We believe that it is alive and it is active and it's transforming us more and more into your image. Lord, I thank you that um, you know every story. You know every uh, emotion that could be brought up through this content today. And I thank you that um, you speak to it. And I thank you that you are the source of life. You're the source of healing. And so right now I just pray for every person in here, hearts to be open, and receptive and responsive. Some today need to be challenged and convicted. Some today need to be encouraged and, and hope brought back to their lives. And Lord, we believe that you're gonna do it. We love you. We're open, we're receptive, we're responsive. It's your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Uh, divorce uh, in general, 
I think uh, it's easy to say divorce is a net negative. Like we know that divorce is, is not good. Uh, there may be moments where it feels like that is a, a good result of because of the status of, of marriage at a certain spot. But, but we, we know that divorce is not good. That is not the goal that anyone is shooting for when they walk down the aisle, they say their vows, they exchange the rings, they kiss, they celebrate and dance the night away. No one is shooting for the goal of divorce years down the road. Yet a huge majority, or not huge majority, but we, we're, we're teetering back and forth around the 50% mark of all marriages ending that way. It's not the goal that we're after, but we're, we're failing. Percentage-wise, we're getting an F as a society in marriages that succeed. Like divorce is, is rampant. Uh, on the QR code in front of you, there's um, a website that uh, I thought we might take some more time on looking at today, but for the sake of time, we're not going to. But I think it could be really helpful for you. If you scan that QR code, uh, the top option on there is uh, a website that gives statistics statistics on um, some components of life that tend to uh, lean towards those that get divorced more often than not. There's 115 statistics that are, are uh, just, I think, kind of eye-opening. And when you start seeing some of these elements that maybe are present in your life, whether it's decisions that you've made or ways that you were raised that uh, make divorce more likely, and then you start stacking those on top of each other, I just think it's valuable to see, hey, these are areas to be aware of, uh, or these are areas that I can do something about, or areas that I just need to be aware of and maybe communicate with my spouse, I think it's really important. If you scan that, the very top of it is like, uh, if you're looking for a consultation for divorce, that is not the point of you seeing that website. It's actually divorce lawyers have put this together. So you're gonna see some divorce attorneys who put some statistics together that I came across. Uh, so scroll past that, uh, would you like a consultation about your divorce? Uh, and just, it's really incredible to see um, some of the tendencies and statistics on uh, more likely to divorce. To divorce. Uh, there's some statistics in there. Uh, like if you are a child of parents who got divorced, you are much more likely to marry somebody who also had parents that got divorced, which makes your marriage 200% more likely to end in divorce. This may be something that you can't do anything about, but something to be aware of, of the impact of what you saw in marriage, how it might be impacting your future. There's statistics on substances being used inside of a marriage and how that impacts divorce rates. It's pretty wild to see uh, how divorce rates uh, climb in, in a unison with how much alcohol is consumed within a marriage. Uh, there's, there's some things that you can do about that. There's uh, statistics on political affiliations. And uh, if you cohabitate uh, or have a sexual history before marriage, there, there's some statistics on there. Uh, there's occupational statistics, like those that are in certain industries have a higher likelihood because of their, their social interactions with others. That uh, if you're uh, in the entertainment industry or you're working at casinos, like there's a whole lot more likely potential than uh, those kind of at the lower end. I was happy to see that, that clergy pastors were towards the bottom of least likely to get divorced, but were not as good as optometrists and as uh, uh, farmers. I think those are like the bottom. You want your divorce to work? Become an eye doctor and go work the land, baby. Like that's where marriages last. Uh, just interesting to note. Again, it doesn't mean that uh, if you're a waitress, you're gonna get divorced, but there is some awareness of some situations that would be more likely. Uh, there's stuff about faith and education and the impact on the next generation. And uh, I just think, uh, as I was re reading through it, I just think there's uh, some value in uh, seeing some of that, that and maybe having some conversation if you guys are uh, married right now. But let's look uh, more closely here now at the words of Jesus. He says in verse 31, you've heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she's been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. 
what we're not going to be able to take the time on today is uh, the gender roles that you see culturally in a lot of these scriptures, uh, very much so that the man calls the shots. Uh, women were treated a lot more as property. And so a lot of the language that you're going to see in scripture is the man making these decisions. Uh, we're not going to take a lot of time uh, in that, but as we look at uh, specifically what divorce looks like and what Jesus' words are for today. But Jesus says, you've heard this, this teaching. And what he's saying is he's referencing Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, you can turn back there. We're going to read what Jesus is quoting uh, to bring us some healthy context into the conversation he has here now in Matthew chapter 5. Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 says, Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, some translations use the word some uncleanliness, digging into to that language, uh, it means some sort of indecency or shameful exposure. So what's stated here up front is if a man marries a woman uh, and, and discovers something that doesn't please him or discovers something that is indecent about her, and he writes her a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away, or if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. That would be detestable to the Lord. So, um, what happens is there's some cherry picking out of here. But if we take the full teaching, the command that is stated here, if we're honest about it, regardless of how we feel, the command stated here in Deuteronomy 24 is not giving us reasons why people can get divorced. It just isn't. It's saying if this happens, there is a reason for divorce. A man comes across this reason, divorces her. The command that we see in Deuteronomy 24 is if a man divorces a woman, she remarries, that marriage comes to an end. That original marriage should not come back together because the defiled has already taken place, it shouldn't come back together. That is the explicit command of Deuteronomy chapter 24. But what began to happen is um, they took this, this teaching that is not a very good foundation to start making black and white decisions of why or why we cannot get divorced. But what had happened by Jesus' time, and is still a conversation today, is trying to determine what are the reasons with which someone could get divorced. And that's not what Deuteronomy 24 is teaching. To be honest, it's pretty vague. Some displeasure, some indecency. But the point wasn't what is that indecency. The point was what was a defilement should not continue that defilement by later getting remarried again. And so uh, there had been a growing debate that what was had been focused on is why could this man hand this woman a certificate of divorce? And uh, there was great expansion of what uncleanliness meant, what displeasure in a wife would mean to allow a man to divorce his wife. And so this debate continues all the way through Jesus' time. And Jesus is actually brought into the debate in Matthew chapter 19, another good place for us to look at to understand Jesus' full teaching on divorce, because they wanted to know where Jesus was at in this debate. Matthew 19, verse 3 says, Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Because that was some of the stance. Well, if there is any displeasure in the wife, it seems like Deuteronomy 24, according to their interpretation, says a man found something he didn't like about his wife, so he divorced her. So now, is it true that if there's just something a man ends up not liking about his wife, there's any reason at all he can divorce her? They had gone so black and white in defining what could be uh, grounds for divorce or not that it was if she burns your food, you can divorce her. 
If you find her less attractive than you used to, that is a, a reason for divorce. If you find somebody else that you think would be a better fit for you, you can divorce your wife because you have found something that is better for you. And so this had perpetuated to the point where they could find any reason to say, I don't want to stick with this. And as long as there was any reason, they could hand a certificate of divorce, send her away, and go on to whatever it was that they were more interested in. And so they asked Jesus, is that what's being taught? Is that God's heart? Is that the law that a man can divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus responds to the question in verse four by saying this, haven't you read the scriptures? I just love it. Jesus is like, read your Bible, bro. Like it's just, it's there. Like, haven't you read the Bible? Go look at what the heart of God is, not your tendency to loosen things to justify your way of living. Go back and see what scripture says. It says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So what Jesus does is he doesn't just go back and quote Deuteronomy, that they're, they're majoring on a minor anyways in that text. He goes all the way back to Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two. He dials it all the way back, says this is, this is the heart of God regarding marriage from the beginning, and Jesus doesn't give them the answer that they're looking for. He doesn't begin to list the reasons why a man and a woman can divorce. He doesn't give qualifications, but what he does give is God's design for marriage. He gives, once again, the original heart of God in the covenant of marriage by saying, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and he will be united, joined together with his wife and the two will become one. And whenever two become one, the one should never be separated. This is God's heart from the beginning. What's uh, important for us to notice here is that the religious leaders were preoccupied with what are the grounds for divorce. Jesus was concerned with God's institution of marriage. Jesus was not concerned of like, how do we find loopholes to get out of this? He's looking at how do we honor the intention that God had for man and wife from the beginning? That when displeased humanity is looking for a way out, Jesus is looking for a way to stick with it. And he uses this statement of what two have become one. And when two become one, no man should ever separate this. I think there is a a misunderstanding of marriage oftentimes uh, in our world of marriage and divorce, where we think that there's two people, there's this union of marriage, they come together as one, and then if divorce happens, two go back to two, that we separate it back again and they go back to the way that they were. I wanna tell you something supernatural happens in marriage, where two are not two that are living together and then co can go back to individuals. Two have become one. It's not two, it's one. And when the two are torn apart, it's not two going back to what, how things used to be. It is one being broken. It is the death of a oneness. You cannot go from two to one and back to two. You can go from two to one to a broken one. Jesus is saying when two have come together, it is never supposed to be separated again. I think what's also important for us to understand is um, what scripture speaks to, and we're gonna give you a couple examples here, is that... Um, when it's referencing marriage and the union of two becoming one, it's not just talking about having a ceremony of inviting your friends and your family and uh, you have a party and you exchange rings and, uh, and then you sign a document and register it with the state of Montana that this is this, at that point, then you are married. 
From the very beginning, what we see union of two becoming one is not a ceremony and signing of a document. Two becoming one is a sexual act. What Jesus is quoting here from Genesis, it says, for this reason, a man will grow up, leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. This joining, it's a sexual term. That when there is, is, is sexual intimacy between man and woman, this is a bonding, a union of two becoming one. And when this happens, it's never to be separated again. That it was meant to be just those two for the rest of their days. This is, this is the heart of God from the beginning. In fact, biblical times, marriage ceremonies, when you got the friends and family together to celebrate, there was some amazing traditions and celebrations that they had, but one of the, the elements of the ceremony is the guests, the family members and the friends would wait outside the bedroom or outside of the house and wait for the, fam or for the couple to consummate their marriage. And then when they open the door, they're like, we did it, and everybody explodes in celebration because that was the moment of marriage. And you thought the best man's toast was the most awkward part of marriage ceremonies. But that was consummation. It wasn't signing a document. It wasn't paying the dowry. It wasn't exchanging rings. It was the moment of sexual intimacy that, that when that moment happened, this was the understanding of how God designed us of when a man joins a woman, the two have become one. And that is the moment of marriage that we see in biblical times. This, this was the heart. If uh, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 for another example, it says this starting in verse 15. Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? We're not talking about marriage. We're just talking about outside of marriage, sexual encounter. It says never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself with a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. So New Testament teaching. Don't you realize that when you have this sexual encounter, the two are becoming one? And Jesus is stating when two become one, the, the intention was that they would never be separated. I want to tell you that God's design, his ideal, his best, his plan for humanity is not just one marriage each, one signing of a document and registering with the state. His original design, his best for his people is one sexual partner for life. It's his design that two would come together as one and that would never be broken. It's his desire. That's his heart. I want to take a moment to talk to the singles that are represented here today. You're single and you have a desire in your heart to, to be in a romance, to be in a marriage, to have a family someday. Uh, maybe that's your story. You're single, but you would like to, to be in a romance someday. Or maybe you're here and I know we got a lot of young people in our church, it's college students. We got high school students in the room today. I want to talk to you for a moment. I wanna challenge you and encourage you to be wise, to be thoughtful, to be prayerful, to be careful, to be discerning with your relationships, with your sexuality, with a future romance that could lead to, as to a marriage candidate. Take your time and guard your heart above all else for it's the wellspring of life. Guard your heart above all else for it is the wellspring of your future life. Don't be led by the desires of your flesh, what the people around you are doing with their sexuality and their romance. Guard your heart. Because when you marry that person, and even looking at biblical context, when you cross that threshold of sexual activity with a person, the intention, the design of your soul was bonding for life. So be very careful, be very wise, be there, very thoughtful. 
get wisdom and discernment and advice from people that know you and love you. Marry someone who's got a history full of evidence of following Jesus above all else. Ladies, don't fall for a man that can woo you and buy you things and look so good in those jeans. Go for a guy who can follow Jesus and not his flesh for quite some time. Because if he's a guy that's just chasing his flesh and you're a part of that, it doesn't usually end well. Follow, fall in love with a man who says, this is, this is the desires of my flesh, but I'm choosing to honor God. I'm choosing to invest in not what my flesh wants today, but in the marriage that I want and the family that I'm looking at in 30 years from now. Be cautious, be careful. Because I know um, there are desires of the heart and how fun it is to be in a romance and and going slow and being wise may not meet your most current desires, but it will meet your deepest desires. And it will save you heartache later and the heartache of potential future children that have to walk through a, a divorce or devastation in the future. Be wise, be cautious, take your time. God has what is best for you. He is not taking the fun out of life for you. He is looking at your future, not just your current desires. Be cautious, be wise. Get wise influence, godly men and women, godly marriages speaking into, into your life right now. So Jesus answers this way. It's not the answer that they, the, the Pharisees wanted. They wanted some black and white. No, when can we divorce her? But Jesus says in verse, or they, they ask him another question in verse seven to Jesus. said, then why did Moses say in the law that, we, that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Like, well, how come Deuteronomy, it looked like divorce was something that we could do. And Jesus replies, and this is a super important verse. Jesus replies, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. I think it's really important as you develop a theology of divorce in, in, Bible, in the Bible. Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. And the second half of this verse is essential. But it was not what God had originally intended. Divorce was only permitted as a concession to hardness of hearts, but it was never what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. That verse, uh, we could take a long time to unpack, but I think something that's important to highlight out of it is uh, culturally, these men were uh, finding a loophole to having multiple sexual partners. What was happening is they know that uh, adultery was wrong, and so I can't sleep with somebody else that I'm attracted to while I'm still married to this person. So what they would do to check all the boxes and feel good about themselves is they would wait till they divorced this woman, let's marry this woman and we can sleep together, and then I can divorce this woman and sleep with another one and justify because it's not adultery. I divorced and remarried. And Jesus is saying, he just calls it what it is. Like, that's adultery. Like, the, it wasn't about the contracts. It was, it's adultery. To find these loopholes of trying to, to compromise God's intention uh, for his people. But what we see here that we need to make state clearly here in verse 8 is divorce was a concession for hard hearts, but not God's intention. And I think it's true for us still today that divorce is a concession for hard hearts, never God's intention. We're gonna look at Malachi chapter two and other scriptures spoken on divorce. Malachi is the uh, very last book in the Old Testament. And then there's 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. But it's the most recent teaching that the people in Jesus' time would have had. 
And uh, it's some 1,100 years after Genesis and Deuteronomy. Moses writes the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Then it's 1,100 years till Malachi is written. And then it's 400 more years till the time of Jesus when he's given the Sermon on the Mount. And all this discussion about divorce had happened. But look at the last words of the Old Testament um, speaking to divorce. This is what they would have been left with. Malachi 2.15. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. Let me pause there real quick. Those of you that uh, are married and God has blessed you with the ability to have children, what he wants from your union is godly children. Like a, he could have said a lot of things that would be awesome to have in your marriage, but he wants us raising the next generation to be faithful followers of Jesus. He says, so guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Some of you have experienced that cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. To state it clearly, God hates divorce. It destroys what he's designed it causes pain and trauma to his children because divorce is not two going back to two. Divorce is a death. I heard it stated that divorce is the last breath of a slow death. That maybe it's been years in the making and there's even maybe a sigh of relief when it's finally over, but it is the last breath of a slow death because two had become one and it was supposed to stay that way. The destruction of the family is one of the greatest problems facing our world today. Uh, it's a common phrase that families are the backbone of a healthy society across time and across the globe. I'd like to add to that that godly families led by godly men and godly women in godly marriages are the real building blocks for society. I'll just speak in-house here really quick. Uh, here at Anchor Church, we, we deeply desire to develop a thriving Anchor Kids ministry and Anchor Youth ministry, and we wanna improve the facilities and the ability to teach your kids, and we wanna have just unbelievable youth ministries for kids to come experience the presence of God and, and be discipled and grow. But I wanna tell you, what we really need even more than that is men and women of God in the homes. Godly children being produced from your unions. As amazing as, as kids' ministries and as amazing as youth ministries and camps and conferences and how God can use and move those, what we really need is marriages that are raising healthy kids in the home. Uh, I, I see your hand. I'll, I'll, would you mind if we talked afterwards? I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Is it okay if we wait, though? Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. I really believe that uh, we'll leave a better world for our kids um, not by attending church and sending them to camp once a week in the summer, but by following Jesus as a family. We speak to the men for just a moment. Men, we don't need men in the home who can go make some money, progress in their career, and then be passive on what it means to be a man that's allowing God to change who they are. And be passive what it means to learn how to be a godlier husband, to be a godlier father, to raise the next generation, 
that we need to be investing in those things that are not just temporary and earthly, but producing godly families and godly children from our union, that we invest today and do the work today that begins to eliminate the possibility of brokenness and divorce tomorrow. We see that divorce is opposed to the desires of God, and I wanna say it's also opposed to the character of God. We're not gonna take the time to pull out a whole bunch of scripture on this, but if you read scripture from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, God is a reconciler. It is his nature that he is all about reconciliation, and reconciliation should be the goal, not looking for a way out. I think that um, to narrow it down, I think a proper understanding of what Jesus teaches is this. Number one, the union of marriage is a big deal. I think we start there. The union of marriage is a big deal to Jesus. It's divine. It's God's design. And number two, I think a proper understanding of what Jesus teaches is we should not be looking for divorce. We should be looking for reconciliation. But number three, I think it's also important for us to understand that there are allowed concessions because of our sinful decisions. There are allowed concessions because of our sinful decisions. And these vague categories we get is unfaithfulness and hardness of heart. It's not what God designed. It's not what he intended. But there's concessions due to unfaithfulness and hardness of heart. I want to tell you that divorce should only be a discussion after there's been a commitment to God's view of marriage and an exhausted pursuit of reconciliation an exhausted time of prayer, of fasting, of counsel, of seeking every opportunity of reconciliation to make this work for a long time, and then hard hearts remain. I think what um, is a struggle and challenging is, well, defining case by case, what qualifies? What is hardness of heart? How long does a heart have to be hard? What acts that harden a heart are, are bad enough? Or walking down the line, what is unfaithfulness? Is it an actual affair? What about an emotional affair? What about just distancing from our relationship? What about pornography use? What, what, and, and so there's a lot of these questions that come up, and I think that they're valuable questions and, and questions that need to be sought out in, in each situation, in each relationship. But the danger is, as soon as we start making black and white, well, if this shows up in your marriage, you can get out, is we're walking down the same dangerous path that Jesus is addressing. It's like, don't you understand the heart of God in union? Is that even before you have that sexual encounter or you enter into that covenant of marriage, that you understand that what you're walking into, that you understand how God designed you? Now, I'll be honest with you, and I, maybe my last point here today is, um, I'll be honest, I really wish Jesus would have expounded specifically on abuse. Um, on emotional and physical abuse, because the pain that some people are suffering through uh, in abusive marriages is devastating. I've been thinking about this a lot, and I just feel, personally, I, I, I'm not by any means trying to compare myself to, to God the Father, but I am an earthly father to, to two daughters and a son. And I know that God consistently is calling himself Father, and, and he has a heart of a father, a perfect father towards his kids, and I don't know what this looks like, and I just gotta be, be honest that there isn't clarity. I wish there was an expansion on this, but somewhere along the line, it, it seems as though, a uh, Father, I couldn't look at my daughter and be like, well, this is the decision you made. You need to suffer an abusive situation for the rest of your life and send her back home. I'd like to think that there is room here for what does it look like to, 
to be exhaustive in what it means to be reconciled, to consider everything here and understand that there's been sinful situations and where is the line of abuse cross the line of unfaithfulness where it's enough? I don't know. Where's the line of abuse where it crosses the line of hearts are so hard because of sin that has been committed that it's a concession? I don't know. And I think we gotta be really careful and really wise and really prayerful in every situation and not just try to say, well, well, Let's look for the boxes that get us out of this, but being understanding of the complexities of what sin does to a life and what sin does to a marriage and understanding that sin destroys. Sin destroyed a lot before the divorce was filed with the state, but what does this look like? And I think uh, maybe the questions as we, we finish up and band, you can come join me. It's like, well, what about those that are in those abusive situations? What about those that, are divorced? What about those that are remarried? What about those that uh, are sexually active outside of their marriage? Like, there, I think there's a lot of lingering questions, and I understand if there's questions after this. And again, I'm happy to, to talk and discuss, and um, we just have limited time here together today. But um, I think there is some really important conversations individually about what was the status of someone's faith when the marriage started, when the first divorce happened, was there abandonment? Was there, I think there's a whole lot to consider in each of these situations. But I wanna tell you this, I, I don't know the story that you're in right now or maybe what you've walked through in your past, but I wanna know you that there is a God who loves you, who knows every detail of your story. He knows your circumstances, he knows your heart, he knows the sin, he knows the hardness, he knows the good, the bad, and the ugly of you and the other person. He knows it all. And I want you to know that you are fully known by God and you're fully loved. And I wanna tell you that every verse we've walked through in the Sermon on the Mount is revealing our deficiency and our desperate need for Jesus. This isn't the first time we've come across a situation that's like, I need God's grace in this. I don't want to water down the, the statements that are made in these two verses, but if God's grace was based on our ability to fulfill the requirements of the Sermon on the Mount or to be good enough to earn anything, we are all doomed. This doesn't let you off the hook, but the story of God is one of a love that is so vast, he continually redeems what we break and we violate by our sin. It doesn't mean wrong and sinful decisions weren't made or that there are no painful consequences but he is a God who consistently, continually redeems what we break with our sin. Some of you today are in second marriages that are honoring God, that are examples of God's redemption. It doesn't gloss over mistakes or decisions or sin that was done in the past, but your marriage today is an example of God relentlessly redeeming. Some of you in the room today exist because of a parent who got married, divorced, remarried, and had a child, you. And you are tangible examples, living, breathing examples of how God doesn't stop redeeming what humanity breaks. This doesn't mean that he approves of all that we have done or all that we will do, but he is just too good to not find a way to build something beautiful out of the pieces of what we have broken. Grace is not an excuse to sin, but the grace of God is our only hope. And where sin abounds, God's grace abounds more.
I believe it for your life. I believe it for your story that where sin abounds, God's grace has not run out. His grace for your life, for your marriage, for your future, it's not run out. He has not washed his hands of you because of what you've done or is what, what has been done to you. Where sin has abounded, whether it's your sin or somebody else's, his grace continues to abound. And we get to a place where we repent. We don't just gloss over what has been done, but we repent, we turn from it. We repent of what has been done. We repent of sin and we lean into the grace of God. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me today? Maybe you're here today and um, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You're not a Christian, but you're, you're here. I wanna tell you, I believe that you're here because God is continually seeking, rescuing and redeeming his kids. And I don't know what even the content today, today may have meant for your life, but if nothing else, I want you to know that there's a God who knows you completely and he loves you. And the story of God from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to today, the story of God is one of so much love and mercy and grace that he is rescuing and redeeming his kids. For God so loved the world so much that anybody, regardless of their story, anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but experience eternal life. I wanna tell you the grace of God is here for you. There is no story too bad, no history, no, no, no unbelief, no struggle that is, is too big for the grace of God. He loves you. Maybe today is a day where you just say, Jesus, I've been trying to figure this out on my own and I need, I need you to be my hope. I need you to be my help. Today, as we conclude, um, I just wanna take a moment to pray. Pray over marriages. Pray over those that are single. Pray over the youth of our church. We have just a few minutes. I wanna take a couple, couple minutes to pray and then we're gonna let the band lead us in one last song where you just kinda of have a moment with you and the Lord before we dismiss. Um, if you're here with your spouse, I would just hold their hand. I don't know, maybe it's the first time you've held hands today or maybe even in a while. If you're married, would you hold a hand? If you're not married, your spouse isn't here, uh, would you just put your hand on your heart? I just believe that God is at work and I've just been praying that today, what the Lord is doing uh, makes a difference in your life today, but it is, it's making a difference for the decades ahead and the generation to come. We just pray with me, Lord, we just come before you right now. And I thank you that you know, you know every detail. You are close to those whose marriages are thriving. You are close to those who are broken today. You are close to those who have walked through divorce. You are close to those remarried. You are close to those who have been abused. You are close to those who have been abandoned. God, you're close. Nothing that we've done or have been done to us is, is causing you to distance. And Lord, I just pray that there's just an awareness of your presence, of your closeness here today. Lord, I feel like there's uh, so many different angles to pray for and not enough time in these moments, but I just want to pray for marriages, regardless of their current health. We just pray that there would be healthy, God-honoring marriages. There would be men and women who are first and foremost faithful to follow you, to mature and grow and know what it means to be a follower of Jesus would be investing in a relationship with you and then investing in their marriage. 
that the years ahead would be the closest, most unified years of marriage, not the ones behind. God, there would be an investment in the children, in raising them to know you, to raising them with an example of not just how to make money and advance in life, but an example of how to follow you, how to deny the flesh, how to be a faithful follower of Jesus. God, let the word of God be so present in our homes that we've got moms and dads opening up scripture, teaching scripture, praying with and for our kids. God, let today be the day where maybe the first time ever a dad lays a hand on a child and prays over them out loud, letting them know that our faith is in a God that has loved us and redeemed us. God, let the homes be transformed today. Lord, I pray for those that have walked through divorce. And again, you know the details. I pray that today would be a day where there is a healing from the brokenness that sin has brought, that there is a hope that is restored, that there is purpose and there is life spoken to your sons and daughters. God, those that have walked through horrific situations and today is stirring up emotions and pain. God, I just pray that your love surrounds them, that there is just a sense of, of, of healing. God, that, that there is not a, a, a future that is bleak, but there is a, a life abundant that you still have. God, I thank you that you are so good that you are constantly redeeming. Lord, I pray for those that are single here today, whether they've ever been married before or not, regardless of age. God, there would be such wisdom in how to go about future romance and future sexuality. There would be a desire to honor you, to be faithful to you, because you only have what is best in mind. Lord, I pray for those that leave here uh, with more questions than answers, that you would continue to speak, that we would look to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be revealing, the conversations would be healthy and helpful from here. God, there would be new disciplines birthed inside of us to, to honor you and to honor the, the union of marriage that you have designed. Lord, we pray for the youth, the kids, the middle schoolers, the high schoolers, our college students, God, that there would be um, no longer a looking to what is a, the cultural norm that isn't working, but there'd be a deep desire to know you and to honor you. God, we pray for generational pursuit of you in this church. Father, we love you. Lord, I ask in these last few minutes we have together that you would just do a personal work inside of each life, inside of each heart. We love you and we look to you as our only source of hope. It's your name we pray. Amen.